Hello, everybody. This is the Chocolate News Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by the Ohio Lottery. I'm your co-host, John Alexander Reese. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the leading African-American-owned newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area and northern Kentucky area. Today, we have with us our digital correspondent, Andrea Carter. How's it going, Andrea? Hey, John. How are you? I'm doing good. And uh, we also have our special guest, uh, Dorothy Smoot. Uh, she is the Chief Impact Officer and Executive Director for Community Partnering Center. How's it going today? It's great, John, and thank you for having me. Yes, no problem. And before we head into our main topic, let's discuss some of this good, well, good for some people, chocolate news. So what's the chocolate news of the week, Andrea? Well, John, it has been an exciting few days this week for chocolate news. I don't know which one to start with first. So I'll, I'll go with the one that's the most quiet. Our President Joe Biden signed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act yesterday. Um, it passed the House with a, a, a large majority and he signed it. So now if anyone commits the act of lynching, it is now a federal crime. So um, that's some good news. It's been a long, hard push to get it done. And um, it finally got done yesterday. I would say also in, in terms of the legal aspects, um, in the latest of the ongoing saga of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson's nomination, Senator Susan Collins announced that she was going to put her support behind Judge Jackson to make sure that her nomination got out of the committee and onto the floor vote for a full Senate discussion and vote. So it looks like a lot of senators are, uh, there's a little grip that was on the senator's didn't want to support it. Sounds like that grip is loosening up a bit because more and more is coming out about Trump and January 6th that I think a few senators are slowly waking up to the reality that they need to take care of themselves and not somebody else. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in these coming months regarding the midterms elections and as more and more is coming out about the January 6th. But so far, things look very promising though for Judge Jackson to be the first on the Supreme Court. So woohoo! Um, great news. Um, in terms of, I'm gonna switch to our health real quick. The FDA ruled just a couple of days ago that um, there will be a need for a second booster just for people who are over the age of 50, because there is a new Omicron version that is starting to be shown, starting to show itself in the country, and so to protect people who are over 50 that might be more susceptible to this new variant, they want to um, get it, they, they're encouraging people to get a second shot. Now, you have to have at least four months go by from the booster shot before you can get the second booster shot. But I already, where I've seen on Facebook, people are already arranging to get that, that next booster already. So I would encourage everyone just to be on the safe side, go ahead, get that second booster and then keep right on living because um, it looks like the Biden administration is going to lift the, the pandemic mandates in May. So mm. it's going to be a very interesting world come May. So I would just say to protect yourselves before the free shots, the free testing, the free everything goes away, get it done now. The most controversial, I, I, we've had already a number of discussions on this, was the slap that was heard around the world on Sunday night at the Oscars. Oh, yes, uh, indeed. <laughs> uh, Will Smith has apologized to Chris Rock. Um, we've heard different versions of the apology 
where it occurred, when it occurred, though both gentlemen did put apologies on Instagram to say, you know, it, it was just something wrong. They both admitted that they did something wrong. It should not have happened. Um, Chris Rock admitted that he should not have made the joke about um, Jada Pinkett Smith, the fact that she has alopecia by um, quoting her G.I. Jane, even though there's some history there of him taking pot shots at her um, before using the G.I. Jane term in a different prospect. But Will Smith, he had first apologized to the Academy, then later he apologized to Chris Rock, but, and then people have been divided over his actions. I know it's just been so controversial and interesting to hear what people are thinking about should he, shouldn't he, should he, uh, I would say Tiffany Haddish has come out and said she supports what Will did because he stood up for his wife because not many men would stand up for their wives. So she's pleased that he took action. There are other people saying that, no, you don't handle it that way, not especially at the Oscars, which is the Krim Dome Krim event. Um, he should have handled it quietly behind the scenes and made sure that his wife was fine and then pulled Chris Rock aside later on out of, you know, in some privacy and handle it that way. It, it just has been interesting to hear the meaning of what it means to be a man defending your wife and what that means in the actions taken. So, I mean, it's a controversial cultural discussion of what men are supposed to do, what men are not supposed to do in action. I'm actually kind of surprised there's like a split down the middle because this should have never happened. Like Will Smith should have never slapped Chris Rock no matter what he said, because it, and it's just so, it's just so out of character for Will Smith to do that. So I think there might be something going on with him that we don't know about or whatever, because it's like, like I said, Will Smith has never done anything like that. So I was like completely shocked when he did that. And I was even more shocked when some people were defending it because I'm just like, okay, violence is never the answer. I don't care what he said you don't go up to a man and slap him just because of something he said unless it was maybe I can see if it was a threat or something but even then you know it's just like you handle it like privately and not in front of tv cameras not live on tv in front of millions and millions of people and 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 you know now Will Smith is like reaping the you know the consequences for that because I was reading the story today they said the Academy Board of Governors they held an emergency meeting and he could face expulsion I think they just need to suspend him for a few years I think that's a fair punishment but also the Screen Actors Guild you know which you know Will Smith belongs to you know they're launching their own investigation too and that's actually worse than being expelled by the academy because if you're expelled from the screen actors guild that means you can't work because all the guilds in hollywood you know they belong to a guild and they all unions and stuff so you know no one would work with will smith if he was expelled from the screen actors guild so that's even worse for him but it's just interesting to see how this situation is playing out like i said first and foremost with an actor which i don't think anyone in a million years, when expected Will Smith to do something like this, and just to see the fallout that's happening, so it's certainly an interesting topic. I'm I'm really interested to see how this plays out over the next couple of days. 
it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in terms of, I think, also what's not being talked about um, all that much is the impact of when you're the victim of someone's joke. Yeah. Whether it's cruel or not. Now, there has been some bad blood between Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett before because of past comments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is a comedian. Um, you know, people say, you know, he'll take a cheap shot at anybody, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think at the same time, the way he, the joke came off, even though it was funny, it was also very demeaning at the same time. Yeah. And in this light of Women's History Month and um, people watching what, what they do to women, it's, it didn't just come off very well. It was very yeah. tasteless. But then again, Chris Rock always tells tasteless stuff anyway. The interesting thing, though, is that he will be here in Cincinnati in June, and they've added another show because the demand for tickets to his show increased um, greatly. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to say this is probably the best thing that happened to Chris Rock in a long yes. time. Yes, so I, I hate mean, to say that. I, I, I hate to see too, but everyone will benefit from this one way or the other yeah. and um, go on from there. It's kind of like the Kanye West moment of the Oscars. And yeah. Kanye survived his moment and has moved on and found success. Yeah. Will will get through this and move on and will be the launch of topic. You know, it'll be interesting when who gets the first interview to talk about it. Yeah. I, I, so, don't think, I don't think Will Smith's career, I mean, he'll still probably have a career after this, but it won't probably won't be at the same height. And it's really sad because this was supposed to be the pinnacle of his career, you know, because he was nominated several other times for Oscars. You know, he was the biggest movie star in the world at one point. And this was supposed to be the highlight of his career, finally winning an Oscar. And this was supposed to launch a new stage in his career. And it just, it just got ugly. And um, I don't know what's going to happen next, but it certainly will be interesting to uh, see. But also one thing I want to add is that, and it just kind of made me mad because it's like, it's just perpetuating that angry black man stereotype. It's just like, oh, he slapped, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock just for a joke. And I'm just like, and it just kind of, as a black male, just really, it really made me mad that Will Smith did that. It's like, because it's perpetuating a stereotype that Black men can't control themselves or something. And I don't think it was really, and I just disagree with all the people saying he was just doing it to protect Jada and stuff, because Jada can take care of herself. And like I said, even though it was just a joke, it was a very tasteless joke. And I do agree that comedians shouldn't really punch down. I, I don't think that's a very good idea to do. But still, it's just like, he should have just kept his cool, resolved it privately, and this could and this and this could have just been a non-issue, but it is an issue. But and like I said, we'll see what happens in the next upcoming days. Oh yeah, definitely we will. So, but that is all the chocolate news I have today. So all right. Well, then let's uh, take it back to our guest, uh, Dorothy Smoot, um, who is the chief impact officer and executive director for the community partnering center. And once again, uh, how you doing, Ms. Smoot? fine john and can i correct my title a little bit for oh you? yes of course i'm sorry uh, yeah. <laughs> so i'm the chief impact officer for the urban league and oh. i'm the executive director for the partnering center okay gotcha all right cool um so andrea um i'll let well, you begin the interview sure the the community partnering center um just give a little bit of history number one when i'm not working as a digital correspondent i am a community engagement specialist 
with the community partnering center. So I just wanna let everybody know what my association is with this. Um, it's a great organization. And um, the community partnering center was created out of a collaborative agreement, um, which uh, was created for those of you who are, not, who are not familiar with the civil unrest that occurred in Cincinnati in 2001. There was a DOJ agreement that came from the result from that civil unrest. And that's the collaborative agreement. And out of the collaborative agreement, was the creation of a problem-solving organization originally entitled Community Police Partnering Center. And we have since rebranded ourselves and we're now the Community Partnering Center. I got that right so far, right, Dorothy? Yes. Okay. And I, I, well, what I like to tell people is that we're the only city-sanctioned problem-solving organization that works in violence, well, in crime prevention, um, doing a little bit of bridge building in the city of Cincinnati in terms of community engagement. So, but for today's purposes, we wanted Cincinnati to get to know the partner, the, what we nicknamed the Partnering Center and the work that we've done over the last 18 years. Dorothy, what, was, what is the biggest accomplishment that the Partnering Center has done over the course of its history? Well, I, I think the community engagement is, is the biggest thing that we've done. Um, I tell everyone, you may not hear our name, but the work has, that has occurred in our communities and our communities are able to take credit for is our biggest accomplishment. And that's, uh, I want to tie that to uh, one of the reasons that um, we've had a, a name change recently. Um, with the collaborative agreement, it was really important for us to develop relationships with the police for our community to begin to heal, for our communities, for our, our communities of color, particularly, but all communities to make certain that they had uh, positive relationships with um, the police, that they work collaboratively together to address uh, issues of crime, disorder, and quality of life that existed in neighborhoods, because every single one of our neighborhoods is different. And we all, all the neighborhoods have different problems, um, different concerns. So it's important that we recognize one city, but it's made up of a lot of people with a lot of perspectives. And so we changed our name recently because um, one of the things when I came back to Cincinnati, uh, in 2002, right after the unrest, and became familiar with the, the partnering center. I always call it the partnering center. That's, that's my shorthand. Um, and became familiar with the partnering center. Um, it was important to call it the community police partnering center. And the person who taught me that was Miss um, Iris Rowley. She told me that the critical C, that it was important to recognize the critical C. And so as we have evolved uh, until now, a lot of things have happened in the last 20 years. A lot of um, things have occurred in our city and nationally. And it's important for us to make certain that as the partnering center, that we keep the critical C in the forefront. And what we heard from community was that they weren't hearing that in our, in our name. They heard police first, community second. Even though, it's, even though we don't say it that way. So we wanted to make sure that we called ourselves the Community Partnering Center because community is important. And we also recognize that police aren't separate, but they're part of our community. Well, I, I would say also in, in terms of the working with the neighborhoods, what are the different components that the Partnering Center does to reach out to the, to the neighborhood, the residents in the neighborhood, to help them solve safety issues? So we have um, 
several different ways that we work with community. Of course, Andrea, you know about being a community engagement specialist. Our, our role there is to work with community leadership and that doesn't, that's the community council. And that could be three people who see something that they think needs to be addressed in their community. But we, we work with those individuals to help them identify root cause of the problem and things that they as community people are able to do. Um, a lot of things that cause crime aren't policeable. They cause crime, they create situations where crime can occur, but it's not really something that the police can do. So as community, we can intercede there. We can get ahead of the crime or we can create situations where it doesn't occur. That's what you do. We have community outreach advocates. Those um, individuals, we have six staff persons that respond to critical incidents in our city. They go to homicides and shootings in the neighborhoods that are experiencing the highest incidence of violence as identified by the data. And they respond to those situations to be a liaison between um, the police and the community to make sure there's good communication, to make certain that um, as best possible, we can keep the community engaged and informed, not engaged, community informed on what's going on and also allow the police to do their job to make sure that justice is served and, and make certain that um, those individuals who are shooting people, you know, are apprehended. They also go into communities afterwards to provide supportive services and additional resources because statistics, research tells you that crime occurs in communities um, that have fewer opportunities. And so they go into those communities to try to provide those opportunities to individuals for employment, for mental health, for substance abuse, for whatever is, is a, a problem in that particular area. And then finally, we work with young people. We have a program called our, it's our youth council. The young people um, changed its name to Urban Champions because they are. Um, this program um, helps to develop their leadership skills and to give them a platform for their voice. It's important to connect young people back to the community. That is the greatest violence prevention tool that we have, to connect people to community. And so we try to connect the young people to the community by giving them opportunities to give back, to have a voice, and to work alongside the uh, adults in their community. That We've been doing that program for about six years. Um, I would say, what has been the, the, the greatest achievement um, for the Partnering Center um, the last few years? I know that we've been associated with some award-winning stuff in Westwood, but also didn't we, um, didn't the Partnering Center win an award for the work that was done in the Mount Auburn, Watered Hills area? Yes, the Partnering Center helped those communities to win their awards in that they did the work. We provided them with community back office, so to speak, and they won the awards. In Mount Auburn, um, Walnut Hills, I think they called themselves WAM. They actually created an app that allowed them to communicate um, with each other about things that were going on in the neighborhood. And what was really important is that there were a lot of social service organizations in that area. And I won't name them because I will forget one and I want to give them all credit, but the area was right over on Reading Road near, near the Shell gas station where there weren't a lot of 
people living in the neighborhood, but there was a lot of foot traffic because there were so many social service organizations in that one space. And so one of the things that happened is that they all came together. And instead of always calling the police on situations that they saw, they, rec- they would contact the organizations so that they could, ha- if, if it was one of their clients, they might intercede to prevent those individuals from being arrested and really getting the help and services that they needed. And we did win, we, all of us, won the award from the Ohio Crime Prevention Association for um, community engagement. And another one of the communities that we worked with was Westwood, East Westwood. They won the Harold Goldstein Award, and that's given for problem solving. And we worked with those, um, with that community, Westwood and East Westwood. Um, We've worked with them for the last five years. And now I was just on the looking at my emails recently and they were calling a meeting to talk about problem solving. Well, I would say when you say problem solving and community engagement, people have a hard time understanding how those two go hand in hand. What tools do you use for problem solving and how do you teach people those tools? We use Sarah, which was identified in the collaborative agreement as the problem solving tool that the city would use to address issues that arose around crime disorder and quality of life, as I've shared before. One of the things that Sarah does is requires people to come together, collect the data, analyze the data, whether that's quantitative or qualitative, anecdotal. We look at what we know, we filter through that for what we can support with with the data. Um, We identify the root cause of the behavior that we see. Uh, Oftentimes, quick fixes are easy, but root cause takes a little bit longer. So we try to spend the time with the community looking at what might be causing the problem. We worked um, in uh, Ashland Park about two years ago, and and one of the issues was um, a lot of people gathering on the street near the park. Um, As it turned out, the community addressed that issue, not the police because they recognized that they needed to do some work in the park. They reclaimed the park. They put activities in the park. They cleaned up the park. And also people recognized that the community owned that space. So they were able to address that without the police needing to do anything. Do you also, um, I know you have, you work in a number of neighborhoods, but you're open to all 52 neighborhoods in the city to do coaching if they ask for it, correct? Yes, we are. And we also work with Invest in Neighborhoods. Sometimes we will provide um, training for the community council. We provide um, neighborhood watch training. Our community outreach advocates have been trained in part of run, hide, fight, but it's really what you need to do so that you don't have to run, hide, and fight. I can't think of the name of it. Do you remember the name of it? No. I can't remember the name of it, We're but both it's really in a moment right now about that. But I know exactly. But the whole concept is that if you look at we use SEPTED, crime prevention through environmental design, a lot of acronyms. But if you look at the space and, and you take ownership of the space, then you can reduce some of the uh, instances where crime can occur. So we do it with churches. We can do it with schools. We can do it with anyone that has a structure. And it's really looking at are your windows covered up? We can do it with a gas station. Are your windows covered up? What about visibility from the street? You know, we try to do those, teach um, communities, those types of things that reduce the opportunity 
crime is an, is, is an act of opportunity. So eliminate the opportunity, eliminate the crime. Well, I would say also that if um, anyone who wants to um, see our, 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 um, you know, our colleagues in action, look for people in the orange shirts. Why is that color important for our community outreach advocates to wear? Why is it? I think that we wanted to make certain that people could see them. And um, one of the communities also said that orange equals hope. And so when they see that the, I, the guys in the orange shirts, they know that some, someone is coming that cares and is willing to offer um, support to the community and uh, attempt to provide the resources that are available to them and that are available in our city. They're connectors. They call it social capital helping people to connect um, to the things that they need. I, I think that the Partner Center does a lot of good work. Um, we, we do a lot in crime prevention, violence interruption. And I, I think also from the neighborhood standpoint, it's a unique way to show people that they can be good neighbors and help each other out when it comes to finding a solution to a problem that you can't call the police about. That's a good way of the Partner Center achieving um, some good news in a neighborhood so to speak. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, I thank you for coming and um, we'll just have to um, have a continue this conversation on what the partnering center is doing, especially since spring and summer are getting started. So I'm sure we're going to have some interesting conversations coming up. So communities need to look for those orange shirts on their street. That's our guys at work. And if they need resources, or if they know of someone that could benefit from resources. We all know people that could use help. And okay. the, the outreach advocates also have a direct link to the Urban League and, and, and resources such as employ, you know, the employment opportunities, the financial supports, and those kinds of things that we're able to offer, as well as a link to the other social service organizations in our community. So if they encounter those guys, they can get directed to the right place. Um, and, and the or for direct contact information, or if someone wants more information um, to get a hold of the community partner center, um, they should call either the Urban League at 513-281-9955 or, yes. or um, visit the Urban League website and or email us at partnercenter at ulgso.org. John? Okay. Thanks, Andrea. Well, everyone, that's it for today's show. And once again, thanks to the Ohio Lottery for sponsoring today's show. I want to thank Andrea for coming on and discussing all the good chocolate news. It's been my pleasure. And I want to um, thank uh, Dorothy Smoot for coming on and telling us about uh, the Partnering Center. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. And remember, folks, you can find more information about today's topics and past podcast episodes at www.thecincinnatiherald.com, the SESH newsletter, or on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast is on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the Facebook mobile app, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. I'm John Alexander-Reese, and have a good day. 